Good morning, my name is Caleb Brazier, one of the pastors here at The Grove, and we're jumping here in our second week of our short series on community, four weeks looking at what Christian community is. Peter did a wonderful job last week talking about the essential nature of community, how God has designed us for it, and the way that God is using it then to shape and design us. But continuing this week, um, really talking about why we need community. And so today, what I want to talk about is this, is really kind of the summary of of the sermon. Why you need community. It's because this local church will let you down, will disappoint you, and will hurt you. We're a very persuasive bunch here at the Grove. (laughs) Why would we talk about, if community is so essential, Why would we talk about the way in which it lets us down then? Well, I think it's important to follow up last week, which was so true and the essential nature of community. Because I wonder if there are some of us that may hear of God's beautiful design for community and maybe begin to have expectations that he doesn't describe what we will experience. And we need to stare at the reality that, yes, this community is essential. But another piece of it is this community is uncomfortable. That's really what we'll be looking at today. And to do it, we're going to be looking at a few different verses uh, around the Bible and a few different kind of exhortations. We'll be going through three different points this morning. Um, The first one I want us to look at as we think about community, I want us to think first about the danger of wishful dreaming. The danger of wishful dreaming. I get that phrase, wishful dreaming. That's from a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a pastor in Germany uh, during World War II. Wrote a number of books. um, Most famously, The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote another book called Life Together. It's a wonderful book really describing the Christian life. We are to live with one another. And in it, he gives this warning about wishful dreaming. Listen to his um, caution about how we enter with a kind of idealized version of community. He says this, Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal attentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. You hear what he's saying there, that, that those who have and love this dream and this vision of a Christian community, this ideal version of a Christian community, more than the reality of the Christian community itself, actually become destroyers of the community that they're longing for. He said, continues, it says this, that God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. Bonhoeffer is getting at this. When we look at community and think about this life together, this essential community, there is a danger that we begin to dream about this kind of idealized and what he calls idolized version of community that no one can live up to. And we walk in with that kind of expectation, we will only ever be let down. If that's what we're walking into. And I think there's two different, as I've kind of, uh, as I've witnessed kind of the church and even in our own church, 
through its young history, I've seen two different ways that this happens. Two different ways that expectations may be unrealistic. One is, in fact, idolized expectations. The other one's simply just misplaced expectations. Here's what I mean by that. There's this kind of wishful dreaming that has idolized expectations that walks in and kind of demands perfection from everybody. I'm going to come to church and people had better remember my name every single week. I go to community group and I better have 15 to 20 close friends that are calling me, beginning to ask me over to their house for dinner, uh, beginning to have deep relationships across the board. I can't believe that people aren't doing this. We need to live life together and I can't believe that these people aren't doing it. And there's this idealized version of community that ends up becoming a crusher of the community that God has. It ends up destroying the thing that they so desperately long for. Now, here's what's important in thinking about this and how to correct kind of this view as we walk into church. Because here's the reality. The reality is we live in America. We live in Claremont. We live in the year 2023. With those realities, there's a culture that we live in. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, the culture that we live in, it flies against community. It's hard to find real community. And we've been baked into this. Now, I, I know this is a particularly American problem because when I talk to members of our church that are from another country, they see this so clearly. I was talking to one member. She was a missionary in Africa for decades. And I said, what's been the, the hardest thing you've experienced than moving to America after living in Africa for decades? And she said it was this thing. She said, in Africa, people just had their doors open and you just made enough dinner in case someone showed up. The people just walk in and you had enough dinner just in case they walked in. And there was this level of hospitality and warmth and community that just existed. We expected to be in one another's homes and to be in each other's houses. And here it's the total opposite. I heard one person describe garage doors as kind of modern day castle gates. It falls, the gates are closed, and we wall off people. Uh, friends, we need to realize that's the culture that we live in. Technology, as it has enhanced, is drawing us to isolation. That doesn't mean technology is bad. I like technology. I have a watch right now. We have air conditioning going. That is a good thing. I like technology. But we need to realize that as technology has enhanced, it has driven us and is bent towards isolation. Even central air conditioning, it makes it far more comfortable to just stay in our house. Wi-Fi makes it easier. Everything that we would need or have access to is there within our house. The iPhone wants to get, or an Android, I guess, if you're not quite there. Um, <laughs> the iPhone, the Android, smartphones, they are trying to say everything you need is here in this device within your pocket. Or the latest advancement from Apple is, I can't remember what it's called, but the little goggle things. Have you seen these? Um, I can't remember what they're called. AR, somebody knows. A VR, there it is, VR. So there, there's a way in which Apple's new product, you wear these goggles and they're meant to be worn throughout the day. So they have a desktop that can pop up that you can interact with, but it's also see-through so you can still see the world around you. And in the commercial, it shows a dad at home making a sandwich, playing soccer with his son while he's also doing his work looking through these goggles. And they're trying to say community is still possible, but you see the way that if we aren't careful, technology is driving us to live 
isolated and by ourselves. Virtual reality is the same thing. Block the world out, create your avatar, and go live in the world that you could dream to live in and push the real community away. So it doesn't mean we don't engage in technology, but we need to be aware of the way in which this technology is shaping us and the way in which our Western individualistic culture is shaping us. And it's hard for us to push against this. So if we walk in with this idolized view of community, we have an unrealistic expectation of the world we live in. And friends, we need to love people where they are and not where we think they should be. We need to walk in and see the ministry that God has in our local church and love us here and help us all take a next step, but to not have this idealized view of where people should be and be frustrated and discontent when they aren't there. That doesn't mean we just let everyone stay where they are. We say it's okay to not be okay, but it's just not okay to stay there. Our hope as a community is we help one another take a next step, not this idolized Perfection, And how do we get to that kind of a view? Friends, we look to Jesus and we love one another like he loved us. That's how we get there. This is what Jesus tells his disciples, John 13, 34. He's just finished washing their feet. He looks at them. This is the Thursday before Good Friday. And he says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we look at Jesus and Jesus says, I've loved you in a particular kind of way. You now are to model that love with one another. Well, what's the way that Jesus has loved us? Friends, Romans 5, 8 tells us that God proves his own love for us. How? And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to me. Jesus does not love a future version of you. He loves you. Christ Jesus did not die for a put-together, cleaner, more refined version of you. He died while we were still sinners. That's where his love enters into our life. And so he loved us that way. That's the way in which we are to love one another. Loving people where they are. Being so consumed with God's love for us that we don't feel like God's waiting for us to clean ourselves up. Surely God's so irritated with me. Let me get myself together so that my life isn't such a a screw-up, a cleaner, less struggling, less insecure, more ideal version of myself. We need to understand the truth of the gospel of every grace that God loves you now as you are in all of your sin, in all of your insecurity, in all of your imperfection. And that love will lead you to repentance and growth. But friends, he's not waiting for that to love you. While we were still sinners. So when we get consumed with his gospel and we see his love, we then are able to love one another like that. Not a future version of the church. Not an idealized version of community. But the community that God has us. In this cultural moment, in America, individualistic, and begin to take steps forward. There is a danger in idolized expectations. This wishful dreaming that can ruin community. But there's another way that we can get there. It's not maybe through idolized expectations. I think another way that we can get there is just simply through misplaced expectations. Misplaced expectations. 
And here's what I mean by that. If we walk in a community, we're not expecting everyone to be perfect. We don't have this view that everything's supposed to be ideal. But maybe we walk in, say, to a community group that we have here meet throughout the week. We walk in a community group, 15 people, 20 people. We walk in with the expectation that here in this community group, I mean, it's named a community group. This is where we're going to find community. And what is community? Well, it's going to be where I can find 15 to 20 really deep, close, personal friends. I can walk in and begin to share like the innermost parts of my heart. I can get to know them. And you walk in and maybe you went into community group last week and you said, okay, it was great. But like, there's not like this depth of relationship that I found. You've been in that group for six months or a year and you're going, I need, where are these 15 to 20 close friends? I don't feel, I I don't feel like I've made that level of connection. Let me just say, I think that that is not an idolized expectation, but a misplaced expectation. That we as human beings, I think, are unable to have 15 to 20 very deep and close personal friendships. We are animated pieces of dust. That's who we are as humans. God took dust, rolled it together, breathed life into it, and made us. And he knows that we're made of dust. We see that in Psalm 103. He has compassion on us. But friends, we should see ourselves in reality that we are human beings with weaknesses and limitations. You are not everything to all people at all times. You can't be. You're a human being. You can only be here right now. God's everywhere. You're here and just here. You have to go to sleep. You sleep for a third of your life. That's how awesome you are. Every single night, you have to click the reset button. We're weak. We have limitations. So there's wisdom, I think, both in looking at Jesus' life and also looking at um, anthropology today that matches that to see the circles of our relationships. If you look at Jesus' life and you see the circles of his community, you find these concentric circles. He had three very close friends, Peter, James, and John. These disciples that he would take in particular moments where the other disciples didn't go. And outside of those three, then he also had 12, the 12 disciples that were with him. That he spent so much of his time with. And beyond those 12, we see in Luke chapter 10, there were also 72 disciples that were also following him. Along with women that were there, probably more than likely supporting his ministry. There were these people that were following Jesus as well. These circles of community that Jesus had. Close friends. This larger group. And then an even larger group of acquaintances. Well, friends, if we were to model... A, relationships and community like that. Again, we see this line up. One book um, I was reading uh, this past week, she takes kind of the same structure, uh, saying that we as human beings can find about two to five close friends. It's really about it. If you're a raging extrovert, maybe a little bit more than that, but that's about what we have the capacity for. And then beyond those close friends, having about 15 people, what she describes as a village, as a diverse community of consistent, interconnected people. People that we see consistently that are different from us, that maybe challenge us, but they're not in the same level of transparency that those three, uh, two to five close friends are. And then beyond the village then, having acquaintances, 50 to 75 people, people that we know, people we'd say hi to if we saw them in the supermarket. We know them, they know us. So having close friends, a village, and acquaintances. And I think what can often happen if we aren't careful, we can walk into a church or walk into a community group and we can only have the categories of acquaintances and close friends and miss that whole middle section of a village. That 12 to 15 to 20 people that we see consistently, 
that's diverse, interconnected. But they don't know the deepest struggles of our hearts. We don't know the deepest struggles of their heart, but we're in each other's lives. Friends, this is where, for us as a church, we've designed community groups to fit into that space in our lives. Because again, community doesn't happen naturally for us as Americans. We are naturally bent in on ourselves. And so this is a space, a greenhouse, a kind of trellis with our community groups that we've said, here is something to help us begin to grow these kind of friendships that don't come naturally to us. And they're important as we have this diverse community of consistent and interconnected people. And we need that. And we shouldn't place in that group the expectation that we'll have 15 to 20 close, deep, personal uh, best friends. Because that's just not possible. And so realizing the expectations of these kind of communities that we have, modeling the way that Jesus did as well, beginning to uh, walk in with clear expectations and not having this kind of wishful dreaming. And so whether our expectations are impossible or simply misplaced, if we walk into a church or a community group with that kind of wishful dreaming, friends, real community never stands a chance. There's a danger in wishful dreaming. But we also need to talk about then, second, the reality of uncomfortable community then. So if community isn't perfect and we need to not have idolized expectations or misplaced expectations, what is the reality? Friends, the reality is that authentic and biblical community is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, which is 12 through 13, Brandon read it earlier, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. I want you to see that. Again, we talked about the 59 one another's in the New Testament. So many of them are so wonderful. So many good things about community. Loving one another, serving one another, uh, rejoicing with one another, weeping with one another, helping one another bear, uh, uh, carry burdens and difficult things in life, comforting and caring for one another. Uh, Peter talked about some of this last week. The benefits of community, the joys of community, that we receive truth for our journey, we receive strength in our weakness, and we receive healing for our wounds. That's found in community. Praise God. It's a wonderful gift. We also need to see the other one another's in the New Testament, particularly these two. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And I want to stare at them for a second. Because think about what they imply. If we have to bear with one another, Paul is letting us know that we are going to get fed up with one another. If we are to forgive one another, Paul knows full well we will sin against one another. Those are expectations of community. That as we begin to find consistent, interconnected, diverse community, whether it's in that group of 12 to 20 or in a close group of 2 to 5, friends, you should expect discomfort. You should expect them to sin against you and you should expect to sin against them. Why? Because you're breathing. We are all sinners. And if we get close proximity to one another, we will sin against one another. Now, this is the saying, it's true in premarital counseling, I always say this to people getting married, be sure you walk in with clear eyes. You're about to fight with one another for the rest of your lives. 
But God in his grace has showed us how to begin to fight fairly and to begin to have a culture of grace and forgiveness in our marriage that makes the gospel shine so brightly. One, um, one author put it this way, that in marriage, no one finds a soulmate. You find a suitable stranger. We need to blow out this misnomer that we're going to find either spouses, friendships, or community that are perfect. It doesn't exist. We're sinners. The Bible is very honest about our state. So when we fail one another, to me, my understanding of the Bible, anthropology, and the, the nature of sin in me, I go, well, that makes sense. It's only through God's grace that we can act like Jesus in a way that's not contrary uh, to our nature. We need Jesus to be able to do it. And so while there is great joy in community, oh friends, there is also an uncomfortable nature of this community. We will annoy one another, we will disappoint one another, and we will sin against one another. And so in this nature of uncomfortable community, we need to see that we that we have to have a type of uncomfortable love, a type of uncomfortable forgiveness, and a type of uncomfortable commitment as we live in this community. And before diving into this, I do need to say, and Peter talked about this last week, there are people who've been in church or been in community that have been deeply wounded by the church. And I know some of the stories here of real abuse that's happened within the church that you've walked through. And praise God by his grace, you're here right now. And you didn't just throw your hands up and run away and give up on Jesus and his bride. What an incredibly courageous thing to do. And so as we talk about this, there are people, again, who've walked through that kind of hurt that I want you to hear me say, don't apply all of this strictly to a point where you would go, oh, I need to just forgive my abuser and commit to be, continue to be around them. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. So know that that's a different conversation that we're not having today. What I'm talking about right now is the majority of people in this room that experience discomfort in community or within the church and have begun to take that phrase of church hurt, which is very real, that people have walked through. And I praise God that it has begun to find a voice that's been amplified to people that have been so voiceless for so long. But there is a danger as it's beginning to be amplified. I'm seeing that phrase begin to attach to things that is not abuse and is not church hurt. And it's widening to a point that's even cheapening the people that have really walked through that. And by that, I mean that there is a level of church hurt we will all experience. As we will have to bear with one another and forgive one another. The expectation is we will hurt one another. And if our response, the first sign of discomfort, uncomfortability, or hurt is to withdraw or to run away or to just have the castle gates up and never let anyone in in the first place, friends, we are missing what God wants to do through community. This is so often our response. The first sight of pain or the first sight of discomfort or the first possible threat that someone may be pulling away from us, well, we're going to withdraw first. We're going to beat them to the punch. Maybe you've been betrayed or people have left you in the past and you go, I'm, I'm, it's not happening again. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to isolate. I think maybe this person isn't texting me as much. I feel some coldness. I'm going to pull back and withdraw. And you find yourself in protecting yourself, keeping yourself from this kind of community. Maybe you feel like, I'm just not even going to put myself in harm's way. I'm just going to live life here with my head in the sand and just make it to heaven and it'll be better then. Why would I put myself 
in harm's way today. If I, if I make myself available and press into community, I will be hurt. Why would I do that? Let me just grin and bear it until I get to heaven, and I'll find community there for literally ever. I'll be fine. Let me just make it to there. But friends, again, you're missing part of what God wants to do within community. And in order for us to stay a part of it, we need an uncomfortable kind of love, an uncomfortable kind of forgiveness, an uncomfortable kind of commitment. An uncomfortable kind of love that has others in view and not ourselves. That's at the very heart of what biblical love is. And we need to be sure to find it because when we hear love, maybe we have a romantic notion of love. How someone makes us feel, butterflies in our stomach, rainbows in the sky, Soft music playing in the background, that's love. We can fall into it, we can fall out of it. Friends, read the Bible and read about God's love for us. It's nothing like that. Oh, and praise God that it's not. There's no telling how many times he would have fallen out of love with me. But God's love, here's the adjective used for God's love. It's a faithful love. It's a steadfast love. It's a love that pursues faithfully his ever unfaithful bride. It's his love. It is others-focused, not self-focused. So Jesus, remember, what's the, what's the situation that Jesus tells them to love one another as he's loved them? He's on his knees washing their feet. He has lowered himself, condescended himself to serve them. Jesus is saying, this is what love looks like. It's emptying of ourselves for the sake of those around us. It's a kind of committed choice that says we will do what is best for those around us rather than doing what's best for me. It's an uncomfortable kind of love that's others-focused and self-sacrificing. Again, there is a potential danger here that we hear this and we just go and run ourselves into the ground. There is, again, wisdom in knowing how we're wired, the need for rest, our limitations, and not simply just pouring ourselves out at all times. We need to be wise in this. It's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is the impulse we have to do things that are best for us. Well, I'll go to this group as long as I enjoy it. I'll walk into this church to see, okay, do I like this or like that? Do I like this or like that? Uh, if I don't, well then, okay, I'm out of here. I got to find a church that meets my needs. Friends, again, I don't know if we're aware of the way the culture has shaped our view of spirituality and even community. We are consumers walking in naturally. We need to be cautious against it. Because Jesus, again, it, to, to paraphrase um, the great theologian John F. Kennedy, <laughs> ask not what this church can do for you, but in all seriousness, ask what you can do for this church. That's the way of Jesus. It's an uncomfortable kind of love that pours ourselves out. Love is not comfortable. Love is a self-sacrificial choice for the sake of someone else. It's a serving kind of a posture that looks as others is more important than you. And this is where things like community group are so valuable. This is the incredible utility that I've seen as a pastor happen within those groups, in those spaces and in those settings of a village of 12 to 20 people. People are beginning to hear of needs that are existing we wouldn't have known otherwise. And real community and care is both found and offered. Both of those things are important. As you walk into community group, it's not just about finding community. It's about offering community to others. 
It's not just about receiving and finding care. It's about offering care to others. The way that God's going to use you to love others. Just in the community group that I was involved with last year, here's some of the stories that I saw how this played out. I saw as one person in our community group was diagnosed with cancer and needed radiation treatment uh, for seven weeks, five days a week. And I saw people from our community group, and they had a hard time driving there to celebration. And I saw people from our community group sign up for every single day of those seven weeks to drive them. I was there one week hearing a prayer request for a wife who was sick. The next week I showed up at community group and I saw another family bringing back, um, or saw that family that was sick bring back serving dishes to another family who heard about that they were sick and brought them dinner that week. They returned the dishes that next week. Family that was moving, community group step in to help them load the truck and move. Family that's struggling starting a meal train so that they wouldn't have to worry about dinner at night. Or sitting one week, the week before Thanksgiving, hearing about a, um, a young a single woman who had just moved down to the area from Michigan, didn't have friends. Another family had heard that she just moved down and was asking what her plans were for Thanksgiving. She said she didn't have any. They invited her to Thanksgiving at their house the next week. Friends, this is the way in which community group functions in incredible ways that we just can't get on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is wonderful. It is the, as Kenny said, it's my favorite time of the week. And as Christians, it's the crowning moment of our week. But friends, it's not enough. We need to not only gather in rows, but to gather in circles. To begin to speak and hear what's going on in our lives so that we then can love one another in a way that's possible in that setting. To find and offer community and care. We need not only uncomfortable love, but also uncomfortable forgiveness. And as Paul says, the church his letter to Colossians, in Colossians, that we are to bear with one another and to forgive one another. C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a wonderful idea until you're the one that has to do it. It's hard because that is saying there's been real sin against you. And so when someone comes either in repentance or you come to confront that brother or sister and they ask for forgiveness, it's forgiving them fully, freely, like the um, confession we read earlier, it's not endlessly replaying what they've done against us in our minds. It is casting it as God has for us as far as the east is from the west. Not dwelling on it. And if it comes back, capturing that thought to not let it dwell and cook in our hearts to create bitterness. But to truly forgive. That's hard to do. But it should be expected. We also need an uncomfortable commitment. An uncomfortable commitment. We are a culture averse to commitment. You just see this through RSVPs, either a lack of a, a willingness to fill out an RSVP or how easy it is to just not show up when you've RSVP'd. We as a culture hate committing to things because what if something better comes up? Let me just keep my options open. And then we say yes to something and then something better pops up. And so we just... Uh, either say we have something else going on or all of a sudden we get sick out of nowhere. We pull out of that commitment. But friends, real community and real relationship blossoms and thrives and flourishes the best in the soil of commitment. This is true in marriage. Every marriage I officiate as they make vows to one another, make this covenant promise to one another, it's in that promise to say, I'm not going anywhere. Sickness, 
health, poverty, whatever, till death do us part, I'm here. That kind of a promise, that kind of a vow, that kind of commitment, that kind of faithfulness to say I'm here no matter what, that gives, that kind of soil gives the possibility then for the, fl- the flower and the bloom of romance and intimacy to be able to grow. Because if we're always wondering if the other person's going to leave, then we're never able to truly find that kind of a relationship with one another. And friends, to a lesser degree, it's also true in the life of the local church. The commitment we make to one another is not the same commitment a husband makes to a wife. I'm not trying to equate the two. But I do want to draw a comparison. Especially in the culture we live in that so easily hops from church to church. The moment we're let down or we don't like something, uh, we're just going to kind of, uh, we'll go to another place. But friends saying, I'm going to commit to this expression of Christ's church. I'm here. And I'm going to commit to one another. That as in you commit, then those sins begin to pop up. Those pains begin to happen. We press in and bear with one another. Forgive with one another. That there is a fruit on the other side of that. We will never experience if we withdraw at the first feeling of pain. It requires a level of commitment. That's why if you remember here, and we sign a church covenant from all the expectations we see of what a Christian is to be in the New Testament. A commitment that says, I am here. Now, of course, again, there are reasons why, whether it's through interpersonal issues, maybe theological issues that pop up, some great philosophical issues that that may lead to people leaving. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is those uh, issues that happen within the church, um, small preferences that we may have with worship or style or choices. And rather than pressing into those, we pull back. Friends, would God give us uncomfortable love, uncomfortable commitment, and uncomfortable forgiveness as we live in this reality of an uncomfortable community? But I want to, last point, I want to make sure to highlight this. Because if we end here, we may just feel like, okay, great. So community is just something we just have to deal with. (laughs) Wonderful. I can't wait. Where's the community group sign up? Sign me up. I want, to, I want to look third at this reality that there is a certain usefulness in productive discomfort. There is a usefulness in productive discomfort. That this uncomfortability that we experience is not just something to be put up with. I, I would argue it's the greatest tool God has to shape you into the image of Jesus. How do I say that? I say that looking at James 1, verses 2 through 4. James is talking about trials, difficulties in life. It's a principle, I think, that applies to community as well. James says this, verses 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. So think about the command. What's his command? Consider it a joy. When you think about what I'm about to tell you, you should think of it as a great joy. What is it? Is it a birthday party? Is it a promotion? Is it a marriage? No, he says, consider it great joy whenever you experience various trials. What an upside down way to view this world. Oh, but friends, God's kingdom is an upside down kind of kingdom. Consider it great joy whenever you experience various trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. And let then endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. 
Because what James is saying is that when you walk through the brokenness of this world and you experience pain, suffering, you experience various trials, maybe it's, again, the reality of a Genesis 3 world, or maybe it's the reality of a difficult and uncomfortable community, that we see God is actually using that to grow our faith and to make us mature in the likeness of Jesus. That there are things that we learn and know about God that's only true in difficulty. And I would argue some of the greatest things we learn about God are in those moments. I think that's why you see people in the New Testament with such a strange and countercultural view of suffering. Right? Consider it great joy. What does Paul say in Philippians 1? Oh, where is it at? Oh, it's somewhere. Uh, uh, verse 29, Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Who talks like that? People that see suffering and pain and trials in this life as ways that God is drawing us closer to Jesus and making us more like Jesus. Later in Philippians 3, Paul's going to talk about sharing in the, uh, the fellowship of his sufferings. That my goal is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul says as he walks through the trials of this world, he's beginning to know Jesus more intimately as God is also shaping him more into that image. And so we can then consider it all joy that as we experience various trials, God is shaping us into the image of Christ, drawing us closer to Christ, and one day he will come and erase every trial from the face of the planet that we can be sorrowful and yet always rejoicing that we as Christians followers of Jesus can interact with the brokenness and discomfort of this world in a way that no one can understand and so we grieve but not like those without hope it's a different kind of grief it's a different kind of uh, of experience of trials and discomfort there's a new hymn written by Keith and Kristen Getty who wrote in Christ alone a couple decades ago this new hymn is called God of Every Grace. And the first verse has this incredible, I think it's an incredibly profound line. They were writing it after Kristen's cousin had just passed away of cancer. And they also live in Nashville, also reeling with the reality of the school shooting that happened in Nashville. So many young children were killed in a Christian school, wondering. And she said that their family's a singing family, but she found it hard to sing. In those moments, what could she sing? And so this song was written out of it. And the first verse says this, that in affliction you bring wisdom that my comforts can displace. How my true and greatest treasure is in you, the God of grace. This truth that in affliction and in trials that there is wisdom and knowledge of who Jesus is in our relationship to him, that our comforts may have a tendency to, to displace in our lives. I don't know about you, but I am the closest to Jesus when, I'm, when I've walked through difficulty in my life, pain and suffering, when I'm very aware of my sin. When things are good, I have a tendency to coast. But there's a certain wisdom that God brings in affliction. And there is a usefulness to this discomfort. And so it's true in all of life, but particularly within community, as we experience the uncomfortable nature of community, God isn't telling us, just make it through because you're a bunch of sinners and one day it'll be better. God is saying, I'm actually going to use this to help you grow into my image, into maturity. 
And so if you end today and you go, God, help me be more patient. Fruit of the Spirit, just like Jesus. Do you know how he's probably going to answer that prayer? Bring you around somebody that's going to make you want to be very impatient. That's not just something to be put up with and make it through. Friends, it's an instrument that God is using to help make you into Christ's image. And it's not just always you. It's not like you're fine, everyone else is the problem. You may be that impatient person is the answer to their prayer. Friends, this is what we see how God uses this. This is true not just in the Christian faith and in community. It's through, we see this throughout creation. Think about how pearls are made. Right? The way that a pearl is made, it doesn't just, you know, it's not like gold, silver, these beautiful minerals uh, in the uh, earth that we go and we mine, bring out, we refine, it's beautiful. A pearl starts when an irritant is introduced into an oyster's mouth. Food particle, parasite, This irritant is introduced and the oyster then in self-defense begins then to cover it. And nacre is the official word. I was talking to somebody this morning and they described it as snot. So whichever one you want to understand it to be covers that irritant and slowly coats it until you eventually have this beautiful pearl. But how does it begin? It begins with this irritant that's introduced. You think about working out. Do you know how your muscles grow and get larger? Muscle size increases, this is from Wikipedia, so you know it's true. (laughs) Muscle size increases when a person continually challenges the muscles to deal with higher levels of resistance, weight, and stress. And that growth occurs when the fibers of the muscle sustain damage or injury. The body then repairs damaged fibers by fusing them, which increases the mass and size of the muscles. That it's through increased stress on your muscles that they're actually broken down. In the process of repairing, they become stronger than they were before. Friends, think about it in your friendships or if you're married. Maybe I'm the only one like this. Again, if if, maybe maybe you never argue in your marriage. That's not true. You can talk about you can you can then confess your lying next week at church. What I found to be true in my life is the moments I'm closest to Leah are the moments when we've had a dispute or an argument, but we find resolution on the other side of it. There is a unique closeness I feel to her in those moments. We find true resolution. But if at every point there's an argument or potential dispute, I pull back for fear of the discomfort, we'll never get to that fruit on the other side of it. So friends, as we walk into community with eyes wide open at what we're walking into, it's essential. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful joy and gift from God. We need to have our eyes open that it's also uncomfortable and filled with sinners like you and like me. And not only do we have that expectation, but God also promises to use that uncomfortable nature, that discomfort, and that irritant to be able to produce something beautiful in you. Because that's the point of all of this. Knowing Jesus and looking like him. The point is not to find friends or to find community. The point is to find Jesus. And God in his wisdom and his grace has designed us in a way that that's a group project. And when we pull ourselves back, we are pulling ourselves away from one of the primary tools that God uses to draw us to himself and to shape us into his image. Friends, it's uncomfortable, 
but it's so beautiful. As a church, when we forgive and bear with one another, we in a very real way show the world the beauty of the gospel and the forgiveness that can be offered to them through Christ. They would come and trust and believe in him. There are no preconditions. There are no notions of perfection. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You come to him and you'll find forgiveness. I'm going to close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon, British minister in the 1800s. He put it this way. He said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still as imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. As I have already said, the church is faulty. That is no excuse for your not joining it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Oh, friends, may God form in us a community like that. May he destroy our wishful dreaming. Give us clarity about the uncomfortable nature of community. And may he use all the pain, all the discomfort, all the irritants to draw us closer to Jesus and to shape us into his image. Because that's the goal. And God designed this thing called the Christian life in that particular way. It's not for individuals. It's a community project. And though it's uncomfortable, oh friends, it's beautiful. And don't pull yourself away from what God is doing and the tools that he has made to draw us closer to him. Let's pray.